0: Could you introduce yourself to the audience, please?
1: Yes, of course. My name is Gino Santa Maria. I'm a, an artist. I do mostly oils. I am originally from Peru, South America. But I have been living in the United States uh, since 81, actually. Um yeah, I'm very passionate about what I do, and uh I'm looking forward to, to this interview. Great,
2: great. great.
1: Um, Gino, Sabin
2: good look for your Instagram uh, before your trees are incredible oh thank you are are trees your um favorite
1: thing to paint are they something you're drawn to in particular yeah very good question my children tells they tell me very often that all you paint is trees (laughs) and I tell them that's all we have in the Midwest yes (laughs) yeah now Because of that, yes, I have developed a very, I'm very fond of trees, of course, but I like to paint everything. Um, There's a gallery uh, in Santa Fe, New Mexico that represents my work. It's called uh, Legends of the West Gallery. And uh, obviously every gallery carries the local flavor in artwork. So yes, I produce work also from that region. You know, I travel there and, paint and, and what, you know, but so every gallery that I that represents me carries work that is that relates to the environment where mm. they operate. So to yeah. answer your question, yes and no, mostly yeah. I do paint trees, though. Yes, and not many trees in New Mexico. I not too many. There's yeah. some beautiful areas near Taos that is just mm. incredible. Mm. Uh, they have a lot of cottonwoods and those turn bright green in, in the in the fall. It's just beautiful. Lovely. And I
2: noticed as well, and I really like your mountain paintings. So paintings where you've got the mountains, and mountains are particularly difficult to paint. Um, yes. More in, in, I think, the tones and the colours of them. It's so sort of blues
1: and greys within there.
2: Which mountains are you painting, first of all? Uh,
1: some of the mountains that I have painted are from Colorado yes yes some uh, are from uh, Wyoming yes and uh then I did also one from uh, Spain actually I yes. visited uh, Spain last, the end of the fall last year
2: exactly.
1: and uh we were in different places in Madrid, you know in the surrounding areas and uh, mm-hmm. there was this mountain just completely caught my eye. <laughs> I painted that as well. It's the Sierra Nevadas, I think, in
2: in Spain. Um, I remember going up near Granada.
1: um, It's very beautiful. It's it's truly beautiful. I mean, Europe is so incredibly beautiful. I love painting just everywhere. Also, I have painted mountains from the northern Andes of Peru. Yes, that's what I was going to ask. And by the way, I am preparing to go on a trip for three months to the northern part of Peru. And then from that area, I'm going to be branching out to Argentina, Brazil, uh, painting, painting. Wow. So I'm very excited about that.
2: The Andes, I've never been there. Um, I've spent quite a bit of time in the Himalayas, um, but not the Andes, but um, I mean, that is one mountain range. I mean, that's uh, amazing. Did, yes. did you grow
1: up close to the mountains? Good question, yes. I was born in a small town, very idyllic, beautiful then. Uh, a Small town of around 50,000 people in the northern part of Peru, in a state called Cajamarca. And uh, I grew up there until I was 13 years old. And uh, mm-hmm. it is, perfect there the, that's where I be headquartered you know when I go out for three months yes uh it's the weather is absolutely perfect year-round sunny yeah. most of the time and uh the high temperature in this summer is probably 70 degrees Wow! and the lowest in the winter at night maybe 45 50 so <laughs> nah. you can't ask for a better place yes yeah.
2: have you ever been down to, to Patagonia Danny. I have not. It's
1: I am playing with the idea. Mm. Um, my two daughters, one who just graduated from college in Spain, and now she's back in the States, and the younger one, which is who is 20, they uh, have decided to join me on the trip. Oh so wow. That's I great. know they want to go everywhere. So yeah, asking about Patagonia. Have you been there before?
2: No, I've, I've always been fascinated by it. Um because, it, I mean, you're going very, very south. And, of course, it, it like when you go very, very north, it starts to get quite cold. And it, yeah. and it's interesting as well down there that Simon is from Wales in the United Kingdom. And down in Patagonia, they actually have a, a very big Welsh um, population there, a the Welsh community. Um, so I've always been fa- I'm, I'm fascinated by those sort of, strange out there places that, that are a little bit different.
1: Yeah, I have a twin brother who is also an artist, and he mm. actually lived in London for a while. He absolutely loved it. He made yeah. great friends, and it's a great, very artistic place as well. Yeah, absolutely. So what does your brother paint, Gina? He paints the same as me. Yeah. He, yeah, paints oils, and he likes to do plein air. He, has so many other interests like yes. he plays a classical guitar wow. uh, that is he's very passionate so he doesn't go with me as often as i would mm. like him to but we do go together on one a few trips that we take uh, we like that. to visit national parks yeah, uh, here in the that. united states so we 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 do a trip about once a year for a week or two and just a painting trip it's mm. uh, so a very creative family. Yes, in, yes, indeed, very, very creative. I have a sister also who is on Instagram, and she makes dolls. Because it's beautiful dolls, and she has sixty-five thousand followers. Wow!
0: So,
1: you know, what? sixty-five thousand people who are passionate about dolls. You <laughs> yes, <know. Yeah. laughs> you didn't creative. know it existed. But it does. Oh yeah, very creative family. Yes, indeed. Yeah
2: and how about your daughters are they painters as
1: well they are very artistic they are quite talented but they don't have quite the interest yes Um, it might come yes one of my daughters my oldest daughter's paintings is in a prominent space above the fireplace in my house Fabulous. But That's the only painting that she's done. <laughs> but it's beautiful. So, yeah. yes, yes, the creativity runs in the family. Okay.
2: So uh, have you always painted? When did you become yes.
1: professional? Um, yes. So when my brother and I, I always refer to my brother and I because we were partners in crime and we still are to this day. He lives also in St. Louis, uh, which is great. But since we were eight years of age, I remember we were so passionate about drawing and painting. And with the allowance money that our parents gave us, we would just rush and buy art books about Rembrandt and Rubens. And probably people that saw us thought, what is wrong with these kids? They should be playing out there, soccer, football, you know, (laughs) instead. But of course, soccer is a passion of mine as well. But so, yes, we always knew. And then when the time came, um, but let me backtrack a little bit before. Mm -hmm. When we were 13 years of age, my brother and I were accepted into the atelier of one of the most prominent Peruvian artists. We were still living in Peru at the time. And uh, Ismael Vanini, oh, what an artist he was. Very unorthodox way of teaching he had but you know he never taught you directly he made you look for the answers which drove me insane at times but so we grew up uh, in that environment every weekend you know every vacation day we were painting in his studio Mm -hmm. and we learned to copy the masters Rembrandt and Rubens in particular those Mm -hmm. two um later on in life we worked for years creating those uh, reproductions of the masters until then I discovered planar painting but anyway mm-hmm. at the age of 18 uh, or around that time my dad said kids what do you want to do for a living we say we want to be artists." <laughs> <laughs> obviously and that said I tell you what um I'll pay for school you guys get a you know, a doable profession, you know, a worthy profession. That's mm-hmm. how he put it. And the deal is this. Once you finish, you can do anything you want to, including painting. That's a deal. So my brother start, uh, studied hydraulic systems engineering. And in fact, he got a, a, a <laughs> master's in it, you know. Yeah. And I studied genetic engineering. Don't ask me why, but I did. Now, that was a game changer for us because it said something in my head that was just glorious Mm -hmm. because I started seeing everything as cause and effect, Mm -hmm. including art. Painting is so scientific if you think about it. Mm -hmm. Color theory is... It's not a wishy-washy oh, concept that somebody invented. It's real and it's yeah. scientific. So it really set me on a course that I never imagined before. I moved to the United States later, you know, and I became a full-time artist. Um, but then I got married. <laughs> that changed everything. <laughs> I never stopped painting almost full-time, even though I was working full-time. Yes. And uh, so, fast forward to today, that's mostly what I do. I do a bit of um, IT work on the side, and it's been really helpful. But, and I, at one time in my life, I used to be a member of the media. I cover presidential elections for, Ah. uh, for, you know, every four years. If you Google my name, Gino Santa Maria, you'll see actually quite a bit of my photographs, you know. uh, all the you know the the Trumps and the Clintons and all wow. this, all these uh, photos, but that is that is way in my past. I don't do that anymore. I'm no longer a member of the. I didn't renew my credentials because I yeah. want to pursue painting full time. Yeah, so yeah. That's what we are today. So it will be
2: soon that you google your name and it's mostly your paintings yeah. rather than your,
1: your press images
2: yeah <laughs> yeah
1: yeah the press images i no longer do uh yeah. the, the the good news is i still collect royalties for that <laughs> <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> it's a wonderful thing yeah. but um uh yeah i want to dedicate myself fully 100 to painting fabulous good so a day, say if you've got a full day, no
2: responsibilities other than painting, how would you start that day?
1: Where would you go? And what would you do? Really good question. Um, The reason I brought up the studio painting, the paintings that we did, the recreations and all those things, my brother and I, we learned to copy very, very well, but we couldn't We had a difficult time creating something on our own. And so I tried it, you know, tried to create things in my head and then painting. It was difficult. Five years ago, I ran into plein air, the practice of plein air by pure accident. Uh, I don't remember even how, but I found myself entering a competition of plein air painting. And uh, the arrogant person in me said, I got this how difficult can that be you know you just paint what you see it absolutely floored me yes. yeah i i was lost i didn't know what to do mm-hmm. and i scratched my head and i thought how is it possible that i cannot copy what i see well the light was changing obviously <laughs> chasing the light the proverbial chasing the light problem But that set me on a course that absolutely changed my life. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. My painting style changed. Uh, I used to produce 10 to 12 pieces every year, paintings. Now, I do about perhaps 150 a year because of the practice of plein air. So my day usually, no responsibilities, I would get up at about 10 a.m. <laughs> because sometimes i work late <laughs> yeah the previous night so i would get up around 10 have breakfast and head out the door um i i'm a part of a group of artists we get together every sunday at 9 a.m. at a different location just show up and paint that would kind of be my how i would do the day and then repeat in the afternoon, do another yeah. painting in the afternoon. Good. And maybe in the studio, I am not a purist when it comes to plein air paintings. So when I come home, I examine the painting and if it needs a little touch, I do it. Yeah, yeah,
2: absolutely. I think that's really interesting what you said about it, that switch from copying great master paintings, Uh, Drawings to then work in plein air. Um, plein air is very, very difficult. I mean, I'm not mainly a plein air painter, but I do do a little bit. And I'm always absolutely blown away with how difficult it is because you've got so much visual information going on around you, the sense of depth, the sense of space, um, and then there's the light, of course, absolutely, and. And to be able to to capture um, what you see in that certain amount of time, and you have to rely on your memory to some extent, precisely. Especially with I paint a lot of skies and clouds, and you, your head can be down mixing the oh, color. That's perfect. <laughs> you look up, <laughs> and especially here the clouds move very fast. Well, said. You look yeah. up and it's changed. So to some extent, you have to have that observation. And that faith in your memory a little bit. Yes.
1: yeah, do you yeah, find no. that's a. Are difficult... you familiar with John Carlson's book on no. painting the landscape? No. John uh, Carlson was an immigrant to the United States and he wrote a book called Painting the Landscape. Right. It's actually quite cheap, it's about yes. $8 $10 on Amazon. But I'll make book, a note of it. Yes. That book has become the bible of plein air painting in the united states Uh, it was written in 1928 so the book is a bit dated as far as english uh, is concerned but he is just oh it's so rich and so good in his last chapter he encourages artists to go out and i've done that before and it's incredible the experience it says go out don't paint observe yeah observe Memorize, go home, yeah. and paint it. Yes, painting yeah. from memory. Yes,
2: it's very interesting because I, I teach painting myself, and okay. um, I spend a lot of time in the landscape. Um, and I don't class myself as a plein air painter because I'm I'm not a purist. But what I will do, I will go and watch the sunset, watch the sky, and at most I will make. Tiny, just thumbnail sketches, just with a pencil or a pen, of just the composition. But I will remember the light and and be almost in a in a meditative way, try and yeah. be as present in that moment as possible, and then come back to the studio with the thumbnail sketch, just the composition, and then try and pour that that memory in. And this is what I teach as well to students to. Especially if you're getting in, um, you know, you get so sort of stressed trying to plan airplanes. Go and just be and absorb it all, yeah. and then
1: loosen up, basically. Yeah. yeah. It, it, additionally, you are dealing with so many outward conditions yes. like temperatures, wind. Um, I was two weeks ago, I was in Alabama painting and I came to this portion of the ocean, the shore, you know, in a beautiful park. And I saw a sign that says, alligators and snakes frequent these shores. (laughs) Please be careful. So I added those to my list of (laughs) things that can go wrong when you do this. I cannot recall one time where I didn't see or a spider was crawling on me while I was painting. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. just part of it. In the in the Midwest here, we have rattlesnakes and we have yeah. uh, all kinds of other snakes. You just develop certain... And chiggers, by the way. Chigras, right. which I, one of my good friends uh, is very sick uh, with Lyme disease. Yes. So As planar painters, I don't care if the temperature is 100 degrees. We wear pants, yes. boots, and then make sure that we were repellent yes because yeah. we are always out in the woods and afterwards you know we develop we have developed the practice of checking to make sure that you didn't get any you yeah. know because yeah. it can be very devastating disease. yes it's
2: a it's a very elemental thing i think planner painting and especially uh, where you are in the states here we don't Thankfully, I mean, we do have ticks and could get mm. Lyme's to but thankfully we don't have any rattlesnakes or anything here. We do have a lot of rain, <laughs> a lot of wind. <laughs> so if, you, if you're if you out painting, it's one of those things you have to prepare for. And I think with plein air painting, it's analogous in many ways to, to a lot of other things like hiking or camping or, being an outdoorsman in that sense, yes. um, but that's where the beauty
1: of it is. Yes, to... yes, that is. Uh, I call plein air painting also my therapy hour, mm. or my happy space, yeah. happy place. Uh, it's I don't know. It's, it's it's that time that I connect with nature, that I am out there by myself, and I prefer the more isolated area, the better. You know. Yes. And uh, just to, to be there where with no modern distractions, other then that this than the cell phone is just it's an amazing experience to me, fabulous.
0: I've been doing some plan air painting myself this year, and one of one of my trips i it was going out into the into the mountains, because there's lovely mountains not too far away from me. And I've obviously got this checklist of brushes, paints, palettes water, spare water, a few snacks, then you have your easel and your canvas. It's a lot to carry. And I kind of sling a bag over with most of the things. I have like the easel is separate in a little bag over my shoulder. And then the canvas I just shoved against my back and through the straps and it was just held there. And I primed it orange before going. And I go marching through this field and over a stile and then through another field. And I got almost to the end and really close to this part where there was some trees. And I realized my canvas was no longer on my back. Oh, <laughs> oh no, and I no. looked back and I could <laughs> see in the distance this orange corner just poking <laughs> out along the grass. So I go marching through back to the other field to get it and come back. And it's just it's things like that which you just think, I need to double check out because you just you know you know, traipsing yeah. through the wilderness to try and find your spots which you are inspired and you're gonna paint. Is there anything which you've experienced in your trips out in the in the wild where you just think. That was a calamity. That just went wrong.
1: <laughs> well, the good news for you is that canvas fell before you painted it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah.
1: So uh, I I believe there are two kinds uh, of plein air painters, and only two. One those who have lost a painting due to wind or something and those who will there is no other kind of so yes i have uh, my paintings have fallen on the floor they have blown off the easel uh, and every friend that i have you know has had some type of experience along those lines but you know also you develop uh, uh, a list or a check for to make sure that you bring everything one time i got it, they're ready to paint and oops where are my oils yeah. <laughs> didn't have them so yeah. thankfully I had uh met up with a friend to paint and I was able to to use his but it's very you develop those with practice you know to make sure that you have everything in the United States as well as in Europe I'm sure year after year after year companies develop new and better easels you know um uh, I recently purchased this. It's called the uh, the Soltech Compact. And it's only seven pounds. It literally sits up in 10 seconds. Wow. Literally. And uh, it is the ideal solution for me be- because I'm about to undertake this trip for three months to South America. And carrying light uh, luggage was critical. Also, I found that I can take a pad of linen pads and would be much lighter than yeah. to have linen panels or canvases. Yes. Especially since I intend to do, I don't know, I'm very ambitious, I suppose. I intend to do about 80 paintings or so during yeah. my trip. So, you so, know,
2: you're saying with the, so basically sort of sheets of linen primed, um, and, and looking at your easel, will, will you have to carry a board to tape them to or yes, something like exactly. that?
1: Exactly. A board and use clips or yes. tape, you know. Or tape, yeah. Tape the corners, then this later, yes. So I, I have been preparing for that. Uh, also, I have found the Strathmore oil paper. Yes. Very, very good. I'm delighted to, yes. to have found that because. I like the texture, you know, and additionally I prime them one more time. Oh, okay. All my yeah. surfaces with oil ground. Yes. Uh, it, it just is less absorbent and the brush mm. flows easier. Mm. I, I do prime everything I paint on, including canvases, yes. one more time. Yes. One more time. It's interesting you're saying about oil paper,
2: because I, I use quite a bit of oil paper. Okay. So I've gone. I've used the Strathmore one, which is beautiful. Sometimes use Fabriano Taylor. Taylor, I think. Can you write that? Down? Yeah. So um, Fab, Fabriano teller So T E L A, um, which is which is really nice. It's quite a thick paper, very um, okay. very robust. Um, I, I've also used the the Ash or arches however you say yeah. it, yes. they do their own but I'm not so keen on it because it's much more like a, a, a watercolour paper so it's so like a hot press, not like an oil surface. Um, but here we have uh, Jackson's Art Supplies which is a, our art supply shop and they do a fantastic oil painting paper which is very similar to Canson and Strathmore paper and and, okay. and, and, and relatively cheap. Um, and especially for if you're going out somewhere, plein air painting. Well, it's just so much lighter to carry. Um, yes, quick, so much lighter. Quick question. How are you then, because the, the carrying wet panels back is tricky. How do you carry wet okay. sheets of
1: paper? Very good question. I don't have it here with me, but I have built carriers, you know, yeah. I have built carriers that I use uh, where you slide uh, in this uh, just uh, the perfect slot enough. for each paper or canvas that it doesn't touch the, the, yeah. the, the surface. Yeah. But on this trip that I'm about to take, uh, I intend to to work on, once I get there, I want to work on a carrier that, uh, that would actually have the space for a clip so it doesn't move away from the panel, uh, or simply tape it. Just keep yeah. it, it really dries. Uh, build a rack where I yes. can keep my drying paintings, and it, then eventually when I come back to the States, I can just pack them with a piece of uh, uh, wax paper in between each. That'll yeah. be it. Um, perfect. Um,
2: so working on oil paper because it's it's different then when it comes to to framing them. Yes. Do you then mount the paintings on paper onto masonite or
1: something like yes. that? Yes, I do. In fact, I do. I use this uh, uh, pH neutral uh, uh, glue and uh, Elmer's glue. Yes, uh, yeah, specific uh, glue, and uh, it works wonderfully. Now, one more note on the Strathmore more paper. I have tried about. Three or four other watercolor papers. Yes. And when I apply the oil ground to them, they when they dry, they they warp. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Just, the Strathmore, I mean, is perfect. It's perfect. It yeah. remains absolutely flat. Yes, yeah. After it dries, so the, I'm very delighted to have found yeah. that brand. Yeah, and it's it's finding
2: that that one that, that works because, also with it we get used to working with a certain surface Uh, i think i made a mistake early on of constantly switching up from working on panel to canvas panel to if you get to know a surface really well it's it's just as beneficial as getting to know certain colors yes
1: um for that reason uh my linen canvases are of a certain brand, it's called Centurion. I don't know if you're familiar with it. They, they work fine. I have worked on more expensive linens and I buy, buy them by the roll, but I have found I'm used to this. So what I have done additionally, I have purchased the same linen in pads, uh, Not 10, I believe 10, I forgot, I think 10 each, but I buy the larger ones and I cut them to size because a friend of mine has a printing company, and they have a large cutter that cuts <laughs> to perfection. So yeah, perfect. I did that and I cut eight by tens and nine by twelves that I will be taking to Peru yeah. for my trip. Same so what, surface, exactly. Same surface. So what
2: um, for plein air? What would you? What are your normally? So normal sizes say so say eight by ten. Ten by twelve.
1: Yeah, Um, my my normal size is either an eight by ten, or nine by twelve. Those are my go-to sizes. Yes, and I do have a carrier that I have built that actually accommodates three six by eights, three eight by tens, three nine by twelves, and so when I get there, I decide I don't have to just carry one panel Um, and it's very, very useful. Occasionally I do a larger piece. This one is a 20 by 24 by the way. And I have already worked two sessions on this one, but I intend to do at least one more or perhaps two more. Mm
2: -hmm. It
1: is not usual that I uh, work on larger pieces like this, but the largest cleaner painting i've ever done uh is a 24 by 30 and it took me five sessions wow. the trick about doing something like that is you have to wait for the right conditions you know for the right lighting conditions and so forth to be similar to the one. i was ones. going to
0: ask is there a time of day when because you've got such nice light in your paintings as well is there is it early morning or is it you know what's what's the time of day that suits yeah. you
1: I prefer uh, late afternoon because yeah. that is when the colors are the richest. But having said all that, uh, there is an expression in plein air painting that says, do not chase the light. <laughs> <laughs> in other words, you see something that you like and you start painting, but the light changes. Then you change. Yeah. That is no, no, no. Yeah. Decide what you want to do. Memorize that. And to, in today's world, you have a cell phone. Take a photo if you have to, yeah. although a photo is a very terrible representation <laughs> yeah. of what you are seeing because it yeah. does not capture the colours right. Yeah. That's why memorization is so important. Absolutely, because you could be chasing that light all all day, all
2: day. Yeah. All, all day. And there's there's something about the the freshness and immediacy of seeing the light that you like, yes. and, and then. As an artist, you have then that power, like you were saying, from your memory, from your technique, to be able to capture it like yeah. that, yeah. and it's it's being able to be completely in the moment, and that is that interesting thing with plein air painting. But yes, it's observation, absolutely, it's observation, but it's also artistic license
1: as yes, well. I'm, oh, one hundred percent. In fact. Uh, One time, when I first started doing plein air painting, I was a literalist. In other words, I would see a tree, and another tree, and another tree. They were perfectly equidistant to each other. (laughs) Boring. Me, I just copy exactly that. Yes. And I I felt, this is not working. My friend, Sean, who is a dear friend, a a purist when it comes to plein air painting, 100% pure, put his... Hand on my shoulder. And he said, Gino, I give you permission to change things. (laughs) I said to him, Can I give that in writing? (laughs) Yeah. That's really triggering my head. Now, reading later John Carlson's book, he says in his book, Nature will rarely give you the perfect composition. Yeah. It is incumbent upon the artist to arrange. Embellish or eliminate co- uh, elements of the landscape in order to suit your composition. Absolutely. Huge um, Yeah. Some, uh, two
2: British, um, famous British painters, landscape painters, uh, Edward Segoe, who's a. Uh, oh, uh, of course. Uh, Edward Segoe and John Constable, you know, But they would do that all of the time of moving. So, you know, the. The windmill is here and the tree is there. Move the tree over. <laughs> you
1: create that composition. Absolutely. You're the artist. Absolutely. Now, uh, there is a an artist that I greatly admire. His name is Bill Anton. Bill Anton. Bill Anton, Bill Anton. check him out. He is so good. He's so exceptional. He's one of those few artists that uh, every time he sells a paint, I'm, I'm sorry, every time he finishes a painting uh, and he goes to a gallery, uh, uh, buyers have to submit. Uh, wow. Uh, uh, you know, like they do it by draw.
2: Yeah. yeah. so many people
1: want this? Yeah. That is crazy, right? Wow. That they do a draw and the lucky winner gets to buy that painting. Anyway, Bill Anton was giving a, a, a lecture one time and one of the guys said, uh, Mr. Anton, I would give anything to know your secrets. Mm. And Bill said to him, I tell you what, go out and paint outside every day for a year. When you come back, you will need my secrets. Yeah, <laughs> There is no secret to no. painting. And then he says something very important. And I have, from that, I have coined a, a, a phrase that I use for my, when I teach. And that is, uh, knowledge by itself won't make you a better artist but knowledge with practice um, will the perfect example i ask my students, how many of you study spanish in school most of them say and then i say entonces me entienden perfectamente lo que estoy hablando and they go And Mm. I go, I thought so.
2: Absolutely. (laughs) You
1: you didn't practice. That's why you didn't learn it. Yes. And so, practice. I mean, knowledge without practice is almost useless. It's just head knowledge. Absolutely. It's... um,
2: I find this with colour, for example. So, for many years before I started taking painting seriously, I bought, you know, every colour theory book possible. And I would go to the art shops and see, say, Old Holland oil paints, for example. And I'd see all of the Old Holland oil paints and think, I've got to buy every colour, right? So I'd start (laughs) saving up. And then when it came to to painting, I'd have all of these colours on my palette, but I'd only use three or four. And it was just this confusion. What I'd done in the end is... I got rid of the books. I just put them away. I chose three colours, three primaries. So blue, yellow, and I just practice and practice and practice with those three colours. And even now I look at the colour theory books and they're confusing to me. Yeah. But three colours plus white, do that every day for, for a year. Uh, and you will learn so much about yeah. colour
1: oh what an important point you just brought up yeah. as a formerly as a recovering studio artist uh, yes <laughs> i was a, that's all i was uh my palette consisted of 14 colors <laughs> i think my friend sean the one i referred to before mm-hmm. sean cornell fantastic artist 100 purist he will not do a, a single stroke in the studio mm-hmm. if he does not finish a piece on The field he simply wiped the painting, wow. much to my like, no, you know. <laughs> yeah. But uh, he challenged me, he said, I challenge you to use three primary colors, a limited palette, which yeah. is cool. And I just thought it was not possible. Once I started using it, oh, oh my goodness, yeah, the color harmonies you can create with three colors are Absolutely. tremendous, yes, yeah, to your point, what you
2: yeah, and you also learn its limitations so for example i I also do this with teaching is work with color triads. so your three primaries let's say i'm using a ultramarine blue um a quinacridone magenta and cadmium yellow what i'll often do is switch it up so i'll then keep the ultramarine blue but for the red burnt sienna and for the yellow yellow ochre right and then switch it up again and have cobalt blue um burnt umber and indian yellow so you, you've always got that red yellow and blue and your eyes how they tune into the, these limited things and you then understand the limitations so for example every now and then you know, a, a, an ultramarine blue even with little bits of yellow in it is never going to create that kind of cerulean color that is in the sky. Precisely. So then you think, okay, well, let's try a split primary palette. So we have a warm and a cooler. So you start with the most limited and then think, oh, I've hit the, the threshold. I've hit the. So let's add something else in rather than having um you know 100 colors where do i start start with the basic and then
1: step up from that good point um i start. i adopted a limited palette for my yeah. planner work but soon once i got very comfortable with that yes to your point i i discovered that it's you are limited that's why it's called the limited palette <laughs> but then i listened to a teaching by uh, um, an artist by the name, uh, Smith. And he suggested you introduce a warm and a cool color of each of your primary. So I introduced the light yellow, and then the alizarin crimson for my cool red, and then the, the cobalt blue for my cool and that just changed everything. His name yeah. is Matt Smith. I don't know why. Right. Matt Smith, of... fantastic artist from, from the West, you know, the you know, from Ari- yeah. the Arizona area. Yeah. And then Scott Christensen, another amazing artist. Yeah. Christensen, not Christiansen, but Christensen. Scott Christensen suggests you put you use other colors like uh, viridium green or black. To bend colours. Yeah, yeah. Don't influence them too much, just bend them a little bit. Yeah, just a touch. Which to is the colour that you're looking for. Yes. Because you use a lot of green, obviously,
2: because of your yes. trees. And green is a notoriously difficult colour. Yeah. Um, so you've got some colours on your palette behind you. What are they? And how do you mix your greens?
1: So can you see it okay. yes so here these are my primaries my yeah. yellow red and blue but yes. then i have i use the viridium green yes as a bending color as a cooling color yes uh, because the midwest where we live that's all you have in the summer starting in the spring all the way to the beginning of the fall That's all you get, greens, greens, and greens. So knowing how to properly paint them is hugely important because my greens start diminishing in chroma with the distance and also in value. Now, you have to, as an artist, exaggerate a bit because you are doing a painting, not a photograph. Mm -hmm. So yes, and then I also use... uh, Ivory black, right bending color to, to kill the chroma a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Sometimes you get colors that are just too unnatural. So yes, being able to use your grays throughout the painting is hugely important mm-hmm. because it creates atmosphere. Absolutely. And of course, I mean
2: ivory black and cadmium yellow make great greens. Yes. You
1: know? Yeah. Now uh, for for the long forever for ever since i've been painting i have used cadmiums you know but yes. uh, for the first time i'm using now from windsor newton which is my yes. favorite brand uh cadmium free yellow yes yes cadmium free red uh-huh. uh my and understanding good? because of my background in chemistry and all that yeah is a cadmium is a heavy metal but it's harmful to humans if it's in a water solution uh, it it's, does not hurt you if it's in an oil solution the problem comes if you wash your brushes like i do you know you put water and soap and then uh, you ah uh, now you have a water soluble solution on your hand although the skin is not very absorbent that's why yeah. that's why the function of the skin to protect you yeah still just to make sure because at one time i wasn't feeling quite well so i decided maybe i need to make a change with my cadmiums. Ah. so i went to cadmium free and it's wow. been it's been great what's the opacity like uh, with- okay i use um artist uh, uh, yeah. the artist uh um, not the, the, the student but the artist yes. oils and the opacity is tremendous. Is it right really? Really, really good, yes. Yeah. Cause that's what I um I mean I use
2: mainly cadmiums, uh, original cadmiums, and it's always, you know, the reason is for that opacity. And I know that they have for uh, many years tried to create cadmium hue, you know, yes. where, where they can the but no. it's not like that. It's
1: it's no. Yeah. I am I am pleasantly surprised how mm, the opacity is, is one. I, I cannot tell a difference. Uh, yeah, everything right. started when Winsor and Newton offered it, to offer me free samples to try them out. So I thought, what do I have to lose? Yeah. I try them, and I was frankly uh, astonished yeah. how well they work. Yes, great, great. great. So, going back to trees.
2: Is there, um, we, we have these Scots pine trees here, which are so beautiful and um, I didn't pay attention to them um, so much before, but now I just keep looking at them all the time and I can see them and I haven't painted them yet, but I'm looking forward to. It. Do you have a particular tree that is your tree, mm-hmm. your go-to tree?
1: Uh, I like oak trees and there's a wide variety of them. Mm-hmm. I like ash trees as well. Mm-hmm. And cottonwood trees are so beautiful in the fall. As well as maple trees. You know, mm-hmm. here we have abundant uh, yeah. uh, an abundance of, of maple trees and different varieties. So mm-hmm. now uh, I'm finding myself mentioning too many trees. So I <laughs> guess <laughs> I like them all, but they yeah. are just uh, oh, um, I like them all. Maple trees are beautiful in the fall as well. Yeah, yeah absolutely.
2: Those co- those colours are incredible. Yes. Sort of rusty red, yes, gold. Absolutely.
1: Mm-hmm. And knowing your trees, I think, is important. Yeah. And yeah. In, in, I use an app, you know, to identify them. I uh, cannot tell what kind of tree yeah. it is. Yeah. And then once yeah. I identify it, uh, I read a little bit about it to make sure that I, uh, you know, understanding your subject is very, very important. Just like when you paint a person, you want to know the, the, the personality. Yeah,
2: yeah. And John Constable with his clouds. So Constable oh. on Hampstead Heath in London, he would sit there painting the clouds and he he would actually go along then to the Royal Institute um, or Royal Society. I can't remember anyway, the, the Science Institute in London. And he would go and he would talk about the clouds to these scientists because he built a relationship with the clouds through painting them and looking at them so mm. the arts were feeding into the sciences and vice versa
1: uh, yeah in fact when i was a teenager i painted a large uh, Constable, the, the hay the wagon, I think it's called yeah. hay wagon, yeah. Uh, yeah. for my parents, and they kept <laughs> it in the family in the living room for years. Now my sister has it. Yeah, yes. Uh, I was growing up, I was obsessed with Constable. It was, yeah. uh, he was, yeah, he was one of my favorite artists.
0: How important is abstraction in your process? You know, to make sure certain things aren't as fully rendered as others.
1: Okay, very good question. In the background, I have a very large painting that I did. I think I finished that in two thousand and six, and the only reason I keep it, okay, is so to remind myself how not to paint. (laughs) I've been tempted many times to paint over in my new discover, newly discovered style. It has so much detail, so much detail. But let me remove this. So much detail. Yeah. But um, I am discovering, to to answer your question, that being able to create abstractions in the micro level, you know, but then that express something representational is a thing of beauty and of great satisfaction for me. Uh, yes i am trying to be more loose you know uh, and create more abstractions that speak of reality mm-hmm. uh, it's not easy <laughs> no, it's <laughs> <still up. undone. laughs> yeah and yeah. and it's
2: interesting because it, your painting there actually reminds me of how you know, a little bit yeah it does. The, the, the composition yeah um, and it's interesting when when you look at constable um so my favorite constable paintings are. His oil sketches. So the ones that weren't shown in the Academy because they weren't rendered well enough, but um, they're in the Victorian Albert Museum in in London and they are the loosest, most luscious and amazing um, paintings, which went on to influence the Impressionists. um, But at the time they were seen as crude and um, unfinished but the way he captures um clouds or a bit of land is just through these brushstrokes so from a distance you look at it and it's a cloud you get close up and it is Very purely painterly abstraction just incredible and um i think that that is that that goal as painters that we You know, we we sort of start tight and precise, but as you get that confidence and develop, it's that that looseness, but how you you keep that fine line between abstraction and representation is the difficult part.
1: Yes. I believe most artists progress to the more abstraction Mm. type of work. Uh, I have been intentionally trying to become more loose, uh, but sometimes using, for example, larger brushes. One of my friends says, use a brush that is a bit larger than you would normally mm-hmm. use. Uh, that helps uh, Yes, yeah, to create more abstractions. And another one is be more generous with the amount of oil that you use. Uh, because I was training the classical uh, style, the lighter the color, the thicker the application, and vice versa. Yeah. You know, if it's a darker color, I just put thin yeah. layers like Rembrandt, much like Rembrandt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. um,
2: like you're saying now about using the, the big brush, um, going back to, to how I teach, I will just use those three colors but give them all a. I'll find one of the brushes very quickly.
1: Yeah, and while you do that, uh, I'm going to mention I am delighted that years ago I found Rosemary and Company brushes. That's mm-hmm. all pretty much I use. They are just amazing. And you have to try different types. Yeah. You know, uh, I have found that for me, uh, for me, uh, this uh, classic long flats are the best. And that's Rosemary and Co yes
2: yeah they're very very good so this here you'll laugh <laughs> this is the brush that i give all of my students it is so crude it is so clumsy but this with three colors and everybody gets the same brush in one palette knife as well ah. mm-hmm. so with this you're you're forced to first of all be loose but because it's such a a kind of a a blunt instrument what it means then is then when you do pick up a rosemary and co brush (laughs) you're like wow this is a good tool because you've come kind of let's say from poverty in that sense by using something like this but what it does it helps you to to be so much looser and to think, you know, how can I get a small um, detail in here? You know, to, to, you're using little parts of the brush like this and then one palette knife. And, and, and what I find is uh, people start really loose and then they start to tighten up with it because the skills they're, they're getting. So rather than starting really tight and then trying to get looser, they're starting very, very loose, and then learning how to render things a little bit better just with those um, those blunt instruments. And I actually use these a lot as well. I bought I bought <laughs> loads of them, probably for schools or something. But they had boxes of 10 of them for one pound and i bought oh, you know, <laughs> 30 boxes or something but
1: yes and your your um, your idea has totally intrigued me i think i want to try something yeah. like that see yeah. what yeah. the results are yeah, yeah.
2: And because you've already got those skills and you know, it but you limit like with a limited palette that you limit yourself just to that really and of course when you first do it you're you'll want to throw the brush out the window or snap it over your knee but <laughs> but it it just gives you you know it gives you that looseness um because of its limitations and then when you do pick up your lovely rosemary and k brush you're like this is heaven
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's true yes it, additionally i keep a few uh rudimentary brushes some yes. are uh, not in the best shape to to create some details that yes want something different effects yes so I do that as well but Can my I, workhorses are rosemary brushes yeah. I love yeah. them I love it. it just I bought quite a few of them by the way you know I try this and I try that and but this particular um classic long flats I yes. have found them to be the best for my style
2: yes. And again, it's those things like you were saying about the canvas, of the linen, the, the more one gets um, accustomed to
1: their tools, you know, the, the better you can paint. Yeah. Yes. I have even tried, for example, Clayson's uh, linen. Yeah, it's very expensive. I I liked it, but it didn't really it
0: it didn't hit home with me yeah yeah i had a briefly had an art mentor and she she was very similar to your atelier experience to the extent that she came from the school of rubens so she was very thin with the layers of paint and she also it made me smile when you said how unorthodox your um I, i can't remember the chap's name who you said would would teach and she was very similar where it was like pulling teeth trying to get any information yes, out
1: that's her. What it was.
0: So, and yeah. i used to do it by reframing it as her work because otherwise if she was to reflect on my work she'd just be supportive and say very good or where's this you know where's the light and where's the you know she just asked me about the scene as opposed to my work yeah and i used to have to say to her if you made this what would you change she'd say oh well in that case and that was the only time when she'd say I change oh. this. You'd have to consider that and think about that. Is there anything where, when you were in that atelier, where you there was something which was was you actually did get some imparted knowledge, which was, you know, not you didn't have to kind of uh, work out in in some kind of trickery to get the uh, get the words. Uh,
1: yes. Well, uh, his work was well sought after. Um, every single painting he ever painted just would. You know, selling his clientele was uh, in general very wealthy people. Mm. So, but so he always used the best of the best in everything, the best oils at the time in Peru. And I believe they still are. Winsor and Newton were some yeah. of the best. And uh, that carried to us. But uh, I think just his passion and attention to detail was incredibly important. I remember. One time, he said, okay, boys, you're going to copy this portrait of Rembrandt, that he, portrait of a man, extremely loose, just unusual for Rembrandt to be that loose, very abstract. I think we spent three months or so working on that. He wanted every brushstroke wow. identical. So finally, thank God, we are done here. He was okay, very good. I have your next project, boys. You are going to do it again. <laughs> like what <laughs> yeah. that's so good that, that taught us there's something to be learned even when you think you already have it just to to, to reach deeper farther mm-hmm. you know that was in essence what we got from him he was a perfectionist to the core yes. and uh, to find you'll know, never be satisfied with the painting until you really are in other words is this all up all i'm able to do this is all I'm, I'm capable of producing if the answer is no then it's not finished
2: yeah and that, that discipline as well of it being um i've talked to people before who say they would like to be artists and they say but you know i I don't get inspired that much to, to paint. I said, you're getting it wrong, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know inspi- I mean, I can't remember who said it, but sort of talent was um, 1% inspiration, 99% yeah. perspiration. Yeah. You know, but it's this idea that you, that you turn up, and like you were saying with your teacher there, that it's a discipline to be a painter, to... Yeah to be an artist, both in the learning, but also in the um, the mode of, of uh, being an artist. You, you have to turn up and
1: you... And, and the and more you do it, the more you do it, the more passionate you become. Absolutely. You don't have to force yourself. Uh, a quick anecdote. I have a friend who is a motivational speaker. He does that for a living. Years ago, he was trying to uh get me to you know to 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 hire him so he can so he wrote me uh, an email and saying gino how would you like to get up in the morning and say i cannot wait to do this and be passionate about it and when the end of the day comes and you have to stop you get mad because you have to stop so i i answered the email dear mark which is not his name you know (laughs) (laughs) i said dear mark um, if I get even this much more passionate about what I do, mm. my wife would probably leave me.
2: <laughs> yeah, very true. Very, <laughs> well, and it, it, it is such a passion, isn't it?
0: Passion. I'm sorry to have to wrap up. We're so close yeah. to half past now. So I just uh, to, Is there anything you'd like to promote as far as an exhibition or? your social media? Where would you like people to go and see well, you? And I see- think.
1: Thank you. Thank you for asking. I think the easiest way to find me and follow my work is on Instagram, which is Gino, G-I-N-O, Santa Maria Art. That is the easiest yeah. way. I, I post there everything that I do from day to day basis. And uh, I think that is the best. And my website, of course, GinoSantaMaria.com.
0: Fantastic. Well, you've well, been so generous with your time. I really appreciate you being yeah, here. It's
1: been a great conversation. Jeanette. Yeah. Likewise, guys. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. And I wish you all the best.